0: Marhaba. Hi, Hannah. Um, thank you so much for responding to my message. Um, so, yeah, we can talk via voice memos. I think it would be good just to start off and get to know you a little bit more. So, um, how old are you? Um, what was your life like before the war? Were you a student? Were you working? Uh, I'm excited to learn more about you. Um, okay, yalla, Allah Um I'll talk to you soon, inshallah. Bye.
1: Hi Rima, thank you, um, and I just love the way you pronounce the Arabic words. <laughs> uh, okay, so my name is Hannah and I am 33. I'm not sure if you have seen my photos when you connected with me on Instagram, but I always, I have always been told that I look younger than I am. <laughs> um, what was my life like before
0: the war? Uh, for weeks now, I've been exchanging voice memos with Henna El Bayoumi. Henna lives in Gaza, which means for the last four months her life has been thrown into chaos. I first stumbled across her through Instagram. Her profile drew me in. She kind of reminded me of my friends. But what I really admired was just how vulnerable she was in her most recent posts, how she didn't shy away from sharing how she'd been coping since the war started. Since it's hard to reach people in Gaza right now, Hannah would send voice memos every few days, sharing pieces of her life with me.
1: I have been married for seven years. I had a very quiet and nice life and cozy house. I loved my life so much, and I loved my husband so much. I love him. I mean, he's still here.
0: (laughs) And every now and then, I also share things about myself. Um, It's so nice to learn more about you. I'm so surprised that you're 33. Like you said, you do not look um, 33. You look a lot younger. I'm also 33, and um, I'm also married, and I also don't have kids. So we have all of that in common And there's another very big thing we have in common. My family is also from Gaza. I grew up in the U.S., but most of my relatives currently live there. I'm not going to really talk about that in this story, but if you want to hear more about my family, I recommend you check out last week's episode, A Conversation with Baba. Anyway, back to Henna. Scrolling through her Instagram, I got glimpses of her old life. Her apartment was light and airy with hanging plants and a cursive neon sign above the couch that read "Loved and Lucky." In the mornings, she liked drinking a latte with coconut milk in her favorite floral mug, and in the evenings, she watched Korean dramas. She'd spontaneously sing and dance when music played at a restaurant, and on her 33rd birthday, her friends and family surprised her with beautifully wrapped gifts and massive silver balloons.
1: I know that everyone expects Gaza to be all the time, uh, you know, like just such a a gray place with a lot of bombing and shelling all the time. But to be honest, when we don't have war, we do live a nice life. I mean, we, we, we try our best.
0: Life in Gaza wasn't easy with the blockade that's been in place for the last 16 years. But everything changed on October 7th of last year. That's when Hamas fighters poured into southern Israel, took hostages, and killed about 1,200 people. In retaliation, Israel began a bombing campaign and ground invasion in the Gaza Strip that has lasted for about four months and has led to wide-scale destruction. Gaza is a small enclave, about the size of Philadelphia, and it's incredibly dense. Almost half the population are minors. Israel's bombardment has killed more than 26,000 people, according to Gaza and U.N. officials. Forty percent of them are children. According to Oxfam, the daily death rate in Gaza is higher than that of any other 21st-century conflict. And because of Israel's siege, most people are drinking contaminated water and there's limited electricity. People like Hena rely on solar panels to stay connected. Back in October, when Israel ordered that about a million people in northern Gaza evacuate their homes and find shelter in southern Gaza, Hannah was in disbelief.
1: It felt really, really horrible. I don't know, it was the most difficult time, the most difficult moment in my life. Like, no one ever imagined. None of the scenarios, none of the response plans that we have ever prepared expected this kind of, of war.
0: For Hannah, there's a special irony to this. She works for an international humanitarian aid organization. She helps internally displaced people for a living. Overnight, Hannah became one of them. In the last few months, she's relocated several times with her family, each time going more south to avoid Israel's bombardment. At one point, she was sheltering with about 100 people and only one toilet.
1: It was a nightmare, especially for women. You're going to have some who have their periods, uh, this is actually one of the most difficult situations to deal with, especially if you have no water around.
0: Of all the voice memos Hannah shared with me, I kept finding myself thinking about one of them. She was describing what it was like the day she fled her home and tried to find refuge.
1: The moment I entered that shelter, I felt betrayed that, I mean, this is not the life I was working for and the type of life that I was hoping to have after all of this hard work. It was a mix of anger, sadness, uh, feeling disappointed by the whole world and, I don't know, by the universe. I'm Marie
0: Mechres, and you're listening to This Is Uncomfortable. Since late December, I've been in touch with Hannah, and she's shared multiple updates with me. This week, you're going to hear intimate details of what it's like to be in Gaza right now, of the daily onslaught of devastating news, and the impossible financial calculations. And at the same time, you're going to also hear a story of someone who, against all odds, tried her best to overcome her situation, to create a more promising future, only to be derailed by forces entirely out of her control. It's a rare look at what it's like to be a young woman in Gaza right now. And we wanted to bring this to you now, as it's happening, as a small window into a massive news story that's captivated the world. After chatting with Henna for about two weeks over voice memos, I really wanted to talk with her in real time— it took a while to coordinate, though, because of the time difference and the lack of electricity. But in early January, we eventually got on a Zoom call. It was about 10 p.m. in Gaza. Hi, Dima. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. How are you? Right now, Henna is in the city of Rafah, which is on the border with Egypt. She's staying in an unfinished house with 10 other families. They're all sleeping on the floor. It's loud and chaotic. But that night, I was surprised when she told me she was wrapping up her workday. It hadn't occurred to me that she was still doing her job as bombs dropped around her. She was working at a nearby house her organization rents out. It was empty. She was there just with her husband.
1: So that's why it's very quiet.
0: Yeah, I was, I was surprised how quiet
1: it is. Yeah. Now this feels like paradise. <laughs> so it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> how often are you there? Every day. And to be honest, it distracts me. So I just work as long as I think I need or I can.
0: Her employer doesn't expect her to work, but she's grateful to still have a regular salary and something to do. She helps educate people who fled their homes on how to protect themselves. One thing her organization does is make posters that are distributed around shelters in Gaza. And they include guidance that she applies to her own life like how you should avoid shrapnel from a nearby bomb by staying in the center of a house away from windows
1: and if there are windows we covered them with you know with adhesive tape and with the curtains and some uh, cardboard oh
0: wow i'm sure your family is very grateful
1: for you to be in the position that you're in yes not all of them, uh, some of them, especially guys yeah. here, they sometimes make fun of all of these majors because they think, oh yeah, I mean, it's if it's going to come, it's going to come anyway. I mean, talking about the bombs. Mm. I keep telling them that when it tells you, will you will not laugh. Some of them call, yeah. keep calling me the the Windows manager <laughs> because I just keep telling them about how to deal with Windows.
0: But then she told me about a recent time when her window management paid off in a huge way.
1: One of the houses we stayed in, in Hanunis, uh, there was a building that was bombed 15 meters away from ours.
0: While Hannah and her husband were sleeping, the bomb shattered the windows, throwing the white curtains on top of them.
1: I woke up on the sound of the booming, the smell of... The, you know, the oxyplogen and the mix of all of these uh, colors and, and sounds for the first moment, I thought I am dead because it was all, it was all white and, you know, because of the curtain and yeah, the whole window, I mean, even the metallic part of it, it was all thrown inside the house with some fragmentations and shrapnel. But I was thinking that, I mean, thanks God, even if it's a piece of um, of cloth, it protected us. That's the the reason why we ask people to keep the curtains. We could have died, uh, or at least seriously injured.
0: Yeah, that's actually that's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You protected your family, and you protected the people who were in the house. It sounds like. Yeah, <laughs> I I hope so. <laughs> and she helped in other ways too. When they fled their homes in October, because of her work, she already had an emergency bag prepared, and she told her family to do the same. She reminded them, don't make it too heavy in case we need to run.
1: My sister has two beautiful daughters. And one of the moments that made me really sad is when their mom forced them to get rid of some stuff, which are toys mainly. So until now, whenever we asked them about the emergency bag, they get really sad because they didn't manage to bring anything of their toys and their, mm. you know, cute stuff that they like. But no one also expected that this is what's going to happen. We all thought it was going just to be a couple of days, a week maximum, and then we're all going back to, to our houses. So I just took this emergency bag just in case, you know, just in case.
0: Yeah, what did you have in those
1: bags? Um, uh, just the very important, you know, documents, our ID cards, mm. uh, money, some bottles of water. If I was prepared to evacuate and leave to the south from my house, I could have, of course, took everything or like at least most of the things. I I left Gaza without any clothes. I mean, everyone always makes fun of me because I have maybe the largest number of clothes. In Gaza, (laughs) I have a different dressing room and that that's not something common in Gaza. Oh, wow. So I have a lot. I love love shopping. Is there something specific that you wish you brought with you? A lot. I'm so (laughs) I'm so connected to my stuff. But what I currently think of, the most important thing to me is my wedding albums and photos and my even childhood photos and all the photos drawer. Mm -hmm. I didn't even open it. That's the main thing that I I wish I have brought with me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In one of the pictures that you sent me, I saw a cat. Did you bring your cat with you? Yes, of course. I
1: brought my cat and my emergency bag. That's it.
0: Oh. What's what's yeah. the name of your cat? Luca.
1: Luca. Luca. Yes. He's very cute. Yeah. How is Luca doing? Oh, yeah, he's 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 depressed. <laughs> I I thought to be honest at that time, I thought I'm going to bury him because I thought he's going to die. But then he managed to survive. He's adapting. <laughs> Yes, he is.
0: Henna's not sure if her apartment is still standing. She eventually heard from neighbors that her building got hit by a few missiles. She doesn't know if she'll have a home to return
1: to. What is really complicated about being a Gazan is, you know, as a human being, you have your own journey, right? Can you hear me still? Yeah, I can hear you. I guess I will lose I will lose connection in a bit and then it will come back because the electricity just oh. cut and some
0: Okay. Okay, I think I think I lost you. The irony wasn't lost on me that Hannah was mid sentence talking about what's complicated about being Gazan when her connection with the world dropped out. A few minutes later, Hannah reconnected. Okay, I can hear you now. You're back.
1: Okay. <sighs> So yeah, I was saying that being a Gazan adds another layer to the complexity of life. Yeah. Where, you know, after you try to find your own way as a human being, with, with regards to dealing with money, your own mental health, childhood issues, etc., something very out of your hands, you know, out of your control comes and just stops you from anything else. Well, in your voice messages that you
0: sent me, that was the sentiment that stuck with me the most when you said that you felt betrayed by the universe. Yeah. It makes me curious to hear a little bit more about your background and the things that you did that made you think you would never be in a situation like this.
1: I mean, I have been working hard. And like really, really hard. I didn't have the best childhood. My father was not working. My mother used to work in some different jobs when we were kids. Uh, We couldn't really get everything we want. Um, It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy at all.
0: In Gaza, it might not always be bleak and gray, but the economic situation is incredibly dire. Since Hamas came into power in 2007, Israel imposed a blockade on Gaza with Egypt's backing that ultimately tanked the economy. The unemployment rate is above 40 percent, and most of the population lives below the poverty line. And it's hard to pursue economic opportunities outside of Gaza. The blockade makes it hard for people to leave, even to travel within Israel and to the West Bank. (laughs) Hannah grew up as the eldest of five children, and so she always felt like she had to be the responsible one, the leader. And she didn't mind being in the
1: spotlight. I always was the girl who does the morning program in the school. I, I love to talk, as you can see. <laughs> but I, I was not always happy with how I look. Mm-hmm. Because I can see that there are better options. There are girls who are able to buy nice outfits. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I always wanted to have is the long coats, like winter coats. The girls who were able to do it, you know, their families are working and they have jobs. and They are, you know, one of the, the wealthy families. Mm-hmm. But I was never able to, to get one. And that maybe uh, explains why I have loads
0: of them now. As Hannah grew older, as she watched her family struggle... She decided she wasn't going to be poor as an adult. I decided
1: to stop this karma as Mm. they, they describe it and just to stop this circle where we were living. And it wasn't easy. Growing up in such an an unstable financial situation. You also grew up with a lot of beliefs about money. I had to change them. I had to work a lot on how to rebuild my own perspective about money.
0: Hannah tried her best to ignore the voices around her. The voices that told her it would be impossible to build wealth, or how being poor can be spiritually rewarding.
1: I stood against most of the norms and the traditions and the beliefs, beliefs of of, mm. of my community and the circumstances of how I grew up. Sometimes those beliefs still
0: echo in her mind, but she fights them by dreaming even bigger.
1: I would like to start my own journey and like to to join a master degree and maybe to have a business later on, and you know to change. Like I would love to be. Uh, a rich woman, like really rich. (laughs) So I would love to, (laughs) I would love to build this life. I would love to have this wealthy life and where I, where my all my, Mm mine is. I mean, I love luxury and I love, uh, I love this kind of life. And I, I, I think I am planning to be honest, to work toward this life. You said something
0: earlier that I was curious to hear more about. Um, you said that you were pushing back on traditional norms or, you know, doing things that weren't always expected of you. Um, What what did you mean by that?
1: You know, being a woman and to some extent a conservative society uh, is is not the easiest thing, you know. Yeah. The simplest example is that the pressure to get married at a younger age. I got married only at uh, 26.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is like considered late. <laughs> yes. Yes.
1: Uh, because yeah. it starts earlier, like 20, 21, 22, three maximum. Yeah. So that was one of the things because I was against uh, the traditional way of getting married. I just wanted to, you know, to continue going with my life and be have financial stability, etc., I, I told my mom, the, no, I will only get married for someone who loves me as Hannah and accepts me. Mm-hmm. And just, uh, that's it. That's the only way. And it happened mm-hmm. later on. Um, but at that time, everyone was pushing my mom. Everyone was telling her that this is not acceptable. She doesn't really know what she's doing. She's going to miss the train, you know. So mm-hmm. that's just one thing. Uh, And all the decisions that came after this big one were not easy in terms of, you know, deciding to work instead of getting married, deciding to start traveling without being married, Uh, the way I dressed up, uh, you know, the smallest and from the smallest to the biggest uh, decisions.
0: Well, it's interesting because I went through that too, but it, obviously in my own way. Um, it came up for me a lot in terms of like,
1: you know, am
0: I going to be with someone who's not Muslim or who's not Arab? Mm-hmm. Decisions around clothing and how conservative I want to be. It's, it's hard. And it's something I struggled with throughout my 20s. And you were not sure um, that,
1: yeah, exactly. You were not sure that uh, you're doing this because you wanted it or because you have been right. affected. Because, and that was the most, the most, right. the most said sentence by me since, you know, growing mm. up, I would say that I would just like to have the option, you know, to have the ability and the option to decide. And then... Yeah, and then figure out what it is that exactly, you Exactly, exactly.
0: And Hannah decided that she'd delay marriage, that while she'd dress conservatively, she'd do it in her own way, and that after college, her first priority would be to make money. One of her first jobs was working as a translator. Do you remember one of the first times you got uh, a check from your work when you first got money?
1: Of course, yeah, yes. the first one was I got paid five hundred dollars. That was the very mm. first job I got. I still remember. I mean, it's 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 not a huge amount of money, of course, but I felt the power at that time. I mean, I mean, it might be really funny because $500 are not really something to empower you. But I just felt that this is the first step of where I want to go, and to be able to do what I want.
0: She spent that first check on her mom. Hannah told me her weakness might be long coats, but her real motivation has always been to help her family. Hannah kept telling me about her life story late into the night. We connected on a bunch of topics. We talked about marriage, our physical health, how grateful we are for therapy. It was hard not getting carried away, to just talk about life. But I eventually brought us back to her current situation. What conversations have you all been having about what what might come next?
1: I mean, this topic in specific is, is very big and very important. So maybe we can talk about it next time yeah let's do that's that okay <laughs> yeah um, yeah um, I guess my mind is getting foggy now I, I'm getting sleepy you should
0: definitely go to sleep um sorry for keeping you on for so long um
1: no it's okay I it, it was nice I mean I, I love to talk <laughs> but also it's interesting talking to you and um, it's fun talking to you um like I I believe that different like similar souls Uh, or similar people get, you know, get in in, in their, in the ways of each other. I I believe in this. Yeah. Somehow. I believe in that too. I do too. I think. So in a better situation, we can, we can be friends.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was past midnight in Gaza when we finally said goodnight. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Have a great day. Bye bye. Good night. Bye. We made a plan to reconnect after a few days, assuming she'd be able to. That's after the break. So, how are you doing? what What's happened these last few days since we talked?
1: Uh, I'm doing my best to be okay. Uh, the past few days were not the greatest. Uh, in the five
0: days since we last talked, Hannah told me multiple people she knew had been killed from Israel's bombardment, including her mom's really good friend who was sheltering in the same area as them. Hannah found out through social media the whole
1: family were killed yeah that was horrible and i knew about it like for for two days and i couldn't tell my mom because she's her friend and uh, my mom also has uh, high blood pressure and it's not stable so we tend to ask her not to use her mobile a lot and to check social media a lot because we we all we're always scared that she's um, you know she gets uh, emotionally affected more than it does to us.
0: Her mom ended up hearing the news from someone else anyway. Hannah wishes she'd told her mom personally. There's a lot she just doesn't know how to say.
1: To be honest, I, now I'm not strong enough to see people in the very first days of, of their loss that might feel, yeah. you know, uh, bad. But but I just didn't know what to tell them. To be honest, I I don't know what to tell them or how to make them feel right. better. And because there's nothing, there's e- nothing exactly. You can say. Exactly. I mean, we we to be honest, it's not it's sad, but we stopped counting. I mean, it's just we don't even have now the luxury of of grieving or mourning people who who die. Actually, my I lost a cousin. And what really made me sad is um, my my husband lost his sister, and then three weeks ago he lost his uh, brother, his very favorite brother. And then yesterday his nephew. So a lot. I mean, at some moment you just you know you don't feel. I mean, um, you feel sad, but it's not the usual. Reaction or, of course, yeah,
0: not. it's do you feel like you just have to make yourself go numb a little?
1: Yes, exactly. You know, it, it's not that we're normalizing death, of course not, but but it's just, yeah, it's too much. It's too much. I mean, I always think of how people will feel after the, the, the situation is over. I mean, all the yeah. wounds will, you know, be open again, and because now we're all in. You know, it's we're all in the survival mode, you know, so we're not exactly yeah, we're not really processing anything. Here, to be honest, um men do not easily cry. The Arab men, right? Maybe you know this. Of course. Uh, I do know this very well. (laughs) I mean, yesterday I was telling my husband, I mean, how do you feel? Just talk to me, say anything. I actually encouraged him to cry and feel sad because if he doesn't then I I know it will all affect his body and his mental health because he will just hold things inside him. That
0: makes sense. Um, Yeah, I, you know, obviously I didn't grow up in Gaza, but yeah, being Palestinian, Palestinian Palestinian-American, I know how hard it is to see vulnerability in men. Yeah, yeah, of Um, course. I could hear someone moving around in the background Hannah told me it was her husband. I asked her in Arabic to tell him I say hi.
1: What is he doing? Uh I don't know. He's in the kitchen. I don't know what he's doing. I just hear noise. He he's, he, he loves kitchen. He's the, he's the one who cooks. Oh, nice, nice. What is his
0: uh, best dish?
1: You know makluba, of course. You're Palestinian. Of course, of course.
0: It's basically a huge pot of stewed meat, rice, and vegetables. Makluba means upside down. That's because when you serve it, you flip the pot over.
1: It takes a lot of work. Yesterday, we managed to do it the first time since the beginning of the war. So we're super happy. I will send you a picture now once we finish. But we finally found, you know, meat and we finally found the vegetables that we use all at once. I mean, we found potatoes, eggplants, tomatoes. So it was, wow. (laughs) So we said we should do makluba today. That's amazing. Where did you get all that food from? Uh, There's a market here, but the vegetables are not always found and it's super, super, super expensive. I mean,
0: yeah, like how expensive?
1: It's like, um, I mean, I'm not the one who buys vegetables usually, but basically, the other day we have bought one potato for about, mm-hmm. um, sorry, just a moment. And just everyone,
0: she turned to her husband to ask him how much one potato costs right now.
1: So, one potato uh, for about $0. 0.5 dollars, so like half a dollar, and that's not normal at all in gaza
0: according to her husband 50 cents used to get you four or five potatoes not just
1: one and even now thinking of the daily needs i i i spend a lot of money on a lot of stuff but but this time i think of things before buying them and i don't like it to be honest i don't like it i just like to. when i see you're not used to yes, it. yes when i see anything yeah. even now during the war, i just want to buy for me and for my siblings and for those i love <laughs> but now i i keep thinking i don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow and i am not a big fan of what is the um, the saying that we have here in arabic saving the the white uh, penny for for
0: what is it in arabic
1: It's like keeping the white pennies for the dark days, something like this. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really a big fan of this. It feels really horrible to keep some canned food aside because you are still expecting the worst, you know? I mean, because if if the worst has not come, I mean, what we're living.
0: Yeah. And I guess, like, you know, To your point, it's it's so hard to think about the future right now, and so I can imagine that makes it hard to know how to spend your money.
1: Yes, of course. So two days, just two days before the the war started, Mm -hmm. we were thinking of buying our own apartment, and at that night, just two days before the war. My husband, he was about to go out and, and you know, give the, the landlord some part of the money so he can, no you know, uh, book it for us. Yes. And then I just told him that, no, this I, I just don't feel it's right. So we stopped buying it. And, you know, two days later, the war happened. And mm-hmm. all of these buildings that we have been looking at and seeing as options, mm-hmm. they were all destroyed. So I was like, thanks, God. I don't know how this happened.
0: So last time when we were talking, I asked you this question, and then um, we, we had to stop the interview because it was getting late. Hmm. Um, I'm curious, you know, what decisions you and your family are weighing right now about what you might do next or what might be possible even. Um, what kinds of conversations are you all having right now? Yeah,
1: now the conversations we're having are most of the time about how we can survive. For example, getting out of Gaza. Because to be honest, this is number one, not, not for the whole family. Some of them are okay to stay or they would like to stay. They don't want to leave. Mm. And some of them, including myself and my husband, are considering to leave. But also, it's not just about deciding. Right. You know, it's also about crossing. It's about being allowed to. Gaza's borders with Israel and
0: Egypt are effectively closed. But there have been a few workarounds, including Gazans coordinating with brokers in Egypt to help them get through. And this might be
1: a bit sensitive to talk about, but this is the truth, that people have to pay money and a huge amount of money to be able to get out. Yeah. And... How much money exactly? Do you have a sense? Yes, I mean, for the past three months, we have been hearing numbers and we have been trying to contact people to get out. And the last number we have got was um 10,000. $10,000 yes. for one person. Yes, $10,000. And this is horrible Ooh. because I know that yeah. there are very, very few percentage, um, a very small percentage in cars that can afford this. But even if they do, yeah. even if they do, it's it's nonsense. It's it's crazy. Um, to be honest, I am considering this with my husband, but not with 10000 It's too
0: much. It'd be too much because, well, it's a lot of money. But if she's going to leave, she can't imagine doing it without bringing her mom and her sister with her.
1: And if we're going to pay, it's just going to be every single penny we have saved. If you'd bought the house, would you have been able to afford? No, of course. Leaving? Of course no, not. No, right? Of course not. I wouldn't have any single Dollar with me because my savings will be um, about just you know third of it, third of the amount. Wow! So yeah, we were very lucky. And can you tell me a little bit more about why some people within your family wouldn't want to leave? It's mainly it's it's about money, but people have started labeling those who left. To be honest, and that's a big thing. In what in what sense? That they have uh, left, uh, you know, their home, and they are not uh, resilient enough to stay. And mm-hmm. they are linking what's happening to the Nakba time, uh, where where you know our grandparents have to leave. And and some of them. Actually...
0: The Nakba, or catastrophe, in English is how Palestinians refer to what happened during the creation of Israel in 1948, when hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were expelled from their homes. During that violent upheaval, many Palestinians evacuated and were never allowed back home to what has now become Israel. So that fear hangs over many people today, that history could repeat itself. Hannah told me it feels like an impossible situation Stay put and risk your life, or leave and spend your life savings. It just—it just feels so twisted or perverse that you're essentially putting a price tag yes. on your safety and therefore your life.
1: Exactly. It's—it's it's frustrating. If I have the amount of money, even if I'm gonna start from scratch, even if I'm gonna pay all the savings,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm gonna go for it. It's just it's I, I don't think we can take any more of this.
0: I had that conversation with Hannah a few weeks ago. In the days following, I tried to get in touch with her again, but my messages weren't going through. Gaza was experiencing the longest communications blackout since the beginning of the war. Day after day, I'd wake up, waiting for her reply. I worried if she was okay. Then one morning, I finally got a notification. She was back online and wanted to get on Zoom right away. Hi, can you hear me?
1: Yes, I can hear you now. How are you? Oh,
0: wow. I'm okay. How are you?
1: Oh, okay. You're the first one I'm speaking to after uh, I get the internet. Yeah.
0: Because I thought. uh, I could tell she sounded a little different, a bit more somber. She was sick. She said everyone is getting sick from the contaminated water and the lack of fresh food. And it's difficult to get medical care since none of Gaza's hospitals are fully functional anymore.
1: It's just, it, it became the new normal, like getting a stomach ache and like this feeling of food poison, you know? Like, most of the kids and adults have diarrhea, Mm -hmm. and they are vomiting, and now um, I have fever now while I'm talking to you.
0: Even with the fever, she said it was nice to reconnect with me. Gives her a sense of normalcy. Especially because lately, things have only gotten more terrifying. Israel's troops are pushing farther south and are planning a new ground assault on Rafah. That's where Hannah and more than half of Gazans are currently sheltering following Israel's evacuation orders. Rafah is a very small city, and the population has increased fivefold with the influx of people. Most Gazans are crammed into makeshift shelters and tents. Hanna says they're all terrified.
1: She doesn't know where else they can go. We have been doing what they have been requesting over the past three months. I mean, we have evacuated from Gaza, we have been to Khan Yunis, we have left Khan Yunis, we have been asked to go to Rafah. We're now in Rafah, and that's the only place that everyone has now. And it's not even safe. So it's just scaring, actually, everybody, the fact that they might do this. Yeah.
0: Just, just to be clear, like, Rafah is right by the border in Egypt, so
1: yes, you're already cornered. Exactly. I mean, we have the sea and we have Egypt. So (laughs) they can, that they will be the only exits for poor people. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. No one really knows. This
0: fearful waiting and also not having internet for nearly two weeks took a real
1: toll on her. I was almost depressed, I guess, in a way or another. I was not really busy with anything. Like, I didn't even have books downloaded on my non- mobile, uh, movies, nothing, literally nothing.
0: When you say that you're depressed, like, what does that look like? Are you just not talking? Are you lying
1: down a lot? Just doing nothing, basically, and feeling like doing nothing. Like, for example, uh, waiting for the time to get out of Gaza or find a way to, to leave. Mm-hmm. It's not motivating anymore. Mm and one of the greatest fears that i always tell my family about is that i don't want to reach a point where i feel that it is okay it's okay to die or no, it's not okay yeah. it's it doesn't matter
0: yeah. to die
1: or live anymore and i just feel like this is what i try to avoid all the time it, it it's just very you know very scary yeah, is there something that
0: you do or think of to help pull you out of that dark
1: place? I I just keep thinking how I felt when I overcame the exact same feeling before in my life, like for personal issues. So I just keep reminding myself that I felt that life is worth living and what I have been through was just a temporary case Mm -hmm. and nothing really deserves uh, that I, you know, I lose my um, precious life or like my, all my dreams and uh, my future life that I'm dreaming of. We talked for a bit longer before logging
0: off. She told me she was going to sleep and drink some hot water with lemon. That weekend, I messaged her again. She told me after our call, she went to bed and didn't get up for a couple of days. But once she did, she felt somewhat refreshed and motivated. She told me she started applying for jobs outside of Gaza. Who knows? Maybe it could lead to something. Something Hannah told me over and over again in our conversations is just how much she hates when people think of her just as a victim, when they define her and other Gazans by their suffering. It's okay to sympathize, she told me, but her life is more dynamic, more expansive than just that. Over these last couple of months, I could hear in our conversations just how determined she is to preserve an image of herself and of her future, that's not plagued by this current nightmare. How much she's fighting feelings of hopelessness. She told me she found it comforting when we talked about things outside of this moment, like when she shared the story of how she met her husband at a movie screening of Life of Pi, or how freeing it felt to dance around her apartment with her sisters. There's this one memory in particular she shared with me that I keep thinking about, when she talked about her favorite cafe in Gaza. Gaza it's like on the uh,
1: ninth I guess ninth or eleventh floor
0: yeah
1: so you can actually see all of Gaza but it was always a nice place we liked we go there and we eat pizza and we uh, smoke Ergila and uh, Ergila uh, that's hookah Ergila hookah yes listening to you know or any classic song and uh, this is this is my favorite moment um this is a silly
0: question, but what's your favorite hookah flavor? Uh, we call it um.
1: tan. I don't know what because it actually is like the like apple. Yes, like two apples.
0: <laughs> As Hannah talked about the cafe, I could imagine her there on the rooftop, joking with her friends, swaying to the music.
1: This is this is my favorite moment because it's like very peaceful.
0: Yeah, I'm sad that I never got to experience that in Gazam.
1: Inshallah, you will at some point.
0: Yeah, who knows? I mean, I definitely want to be able to go back. You know, whenever, whenever I can.
1: Inshallah, we can invite you for the best seafood. Oh yeah, made at home. My husband does a lot of uh, Ooh, nice that dishes. Sounds tasty. Yes, the best. <laughs>
0: yeah, that sounds lovely.
1: Who knows? I mean, uh, at some point Gaza will 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 go back to Gaza again, I don't know how many years this will take, but but I'm sure, I mean, people of Gaza are very resilient, and not because they chose to, but because they have to. (laughs) I mean, I can't now talk about the future. I can't see myself able to do anything afterwards, but I'm sure Gaza will be rebuilt again.
0: Over the last week, airstrikes have increased in Rafah. A ground invasion is expected imminently. Yesterday I texted Henna, asking her how she's doing. She responded with two words. Still alive. If you want to follow Hannah on social media, you can find her on Instagram. Her handle is Hannah underscore with love. If you have any thoughts about this story or just want to shoot us a note, you can always email me and the team over at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. We love hearing from you all. Also, for this week's newsletter, I'm sharing behind the scenes details of how we coordinated these interviews with Hannah So be sure to check that out. And as usual, we'll also include recommendations on things to read, cook, or listen to. If you haven't already signed up for that, you can do that by going over to marketplace.org slash comfort. This episode was produced by Hannah Harris-Green and me, Rima Hraes. The episode got additional support from Caitlin Esch, our producer Alice Wilder, and our intern Marika Proctor. Zoe Saunders is our senior producer, our editor is Jasmine Romero, sound design and audio engineering by Drew Jostad, Bridget Bodner is Marketplace's director of podcasts, Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital, Neil Scarborough is vice president and general manager of Marketplace, and our theme music is by Wonderly. All right, we'll be back with a new episode next week.